Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsessions will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a while. Hello and welcome to the Dork Forest. I'm Jackie Cation. You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com. If you like a determiner, FamilyPetAncestry.com, which I just renewed because it's funny. Let's do the credits. You just heard the song that Mike Rickberg composed and sang with his wife, Sarah Cohen. He will sing his words to the Mexican hat dance at the end of the program. Patrick Brady's going to fix this audio and Vilmos does JackieCation.com, the website. DorkForest.com has available essentially player notes and the YouTube version of the show. You can listen to the show on iTunes and Stitcher and all the things, but you can also listen to it on YouTube or on dorkforest.com. JackieCation.com has all my stand-up comedy information and the merch for Dork Forest. You can get t-shirts, you can get CDs, you uh, can get pins that say Spooky Reading Girl or Meat Shield, but they are not available on the website. You have to email me, Jackie at JackieCation.com. There's also the calendar of my stand-up comedy to find out where I'm playing near you. If I'm not playing near you, talk to your local comedy club and request me. What the heck? There are also videos of my stand-up. You can watch my Conan. You can watch clips from my DVD and links to my other podcast, The Jackie and Lori Show on Nerdist, which is just about stand-up comedy. Anyway, there is also a donation button on both JackieCation.com and DorkForest.com. It's a PayPal button. Uh, all it is is a way to donate to support the show. You can do that by using the Amazon banner, which is just a link to get you to Amazon, which uh, supports the show. You just order like normal. It doesn't cost you extra. And you can use the donation button just to donate. If you don't like PayPal, you can Venmo me, Jackie at JackieCation.com. There is also uh, premium episodes at thedorkforest.bandcamp.com. And those cost $2 a piece because they're live episodes and they cost me some money to put up. So if you've run through all the episodes, you can go to Bandcamp and get like 10 more. What the heck? So much info. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Thanks for supporting the show. Let's get into it. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. Welcome to my living room. I am in my living room with a Japanese action figure fan. Is it an yes. action figure, Jason? The, well, Dang they're not action figures because they're not articulated. They're more of a, a gumball machine toy. Oh, okay. Wait, do they did they actually come out of gumballs? Uh, they did. That's the origin of them. Okay. But they have transcended that. Into something taller. So the format is... Uh, uh, from the origin of, of being like a gumball machine toy. Which means that the arms and legs might move, but they don't articulate and, and bend and stuff. No. Okay. They don't move at all. Oh, they don't? In this case. In this case. They are just as like tiny statues? Yes. Small statues? And I'll, I'll hand you one. Oh, hand me one. Here we go. And what are they called? They're called Kanikuman. They are called Kanikuman. And in America, they were called Muscle. And Muscle is an acronym for? Millions of unusually small creatures lurking <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Lurking everywhere. Yeah, Mattel came up with that. Well, Mattel is not wrong. They got a laugh. Um, This is a robot. Is it a robot? You know, that's what's uh, interesting about them, and that's what I love about uh, Kanikuman, is that uh, in 1985 to like 1989, Mattel released these in America. They uh, adapted them from the existing Japanese toys. Okay. You know, the molds existed. Uh, and there was a, a real boom at that time with Transformers and other Japanese toys being able to just be re-released here without having to do any new R&D. Okay. Uh, but unlike uh, Transformers, which had a cartoon and a comic book. Right. Uh, in Japan, muscle toys, which are, if you're listening at home, they're little pink wrestlers. They're about an inch tall. Uh, they are like an eraser, but not. Right. They look exactly, look exactly like, like, like an eraser, eraser. And that's because they come out of... Figural erasers that you would buy in gumball machines in Japan. Okay. So they look like an eraser because they're, uh, that's their origin. That's okay. what, that's, that's the toys used to be erasers and then yeah. they, they just became statues. Uh, so if you're of a certain age, uh, you will remember these little pink wrestlers. They're like an inch and a half. Uh, yeah. And, uh, what I love about them. What do you love about them? Well, in the eighties, there was a huge boom in, uh, toys because Reagan deregulated, uh, the ability to advertise 
not just advertise toys on television, but have toys based explicitly on a cartoon. Uh, oh, previously you could pre- not do that? Previous to Reagan, they were uh, quite concerned that children's programming would just be nothing but an advertisement for toys. Because it's you were, an excellent idea. It's a so, great way to sell toys. Uh, Reagan uh, got rid of that prohibition. And that's, sure. that's uh, the introduction uh, of G.I. Joe, Transformers, uh, Thundercats, okay. uh, Rainbow Bright, uh, the whole 80s boom of toys is uh is in response to the ability to make a cartoon make toys based on it uh, and then sell those so toys in the case of transformers yeah. the cartoon is a is based on the existing toys okay the toys were part of a trend in the late 70s in japan for a cassette player that transforms into a robot uh, a oh. car that transforms <laughs> into a robot a tank they're actually different toy lines okay uh and they were bundled together for america and right. then a cartoon was written around the existing toys that had already been elaborately designed. What? That's crazy. Uh, wait, so wait. First of all, let's back up very mm-hmm. quickly just to find out that uh, there was a cassette player that then could be unfolded and still play It didn't play work a cassette? as a – no, it did not work. Okay. But it, there, one, of the, one of the toy lines in Japan was uh, household objects. So a camera, okay. a boombox, a cassette player, a gun. Oh, Holy Which shit. becomes Megatron for the yeah. first couple of years. Megatron was a gun. Megatron was the main villain in yeah. Transformers, and the first generation 1984 American Transformer Megatron is a uh, pistol, like just a real wow. looking pistol. <laughs> Holy crap! Uh, and in um, the cartoon, he's, he just transforms into like a small gun that other robots can fire at things. What? That? Uh, so, is crazy, so one though. of the Japanese toy lines that got incorporated into the American Transformers was a toy line of. Cassettes that become robots, cassette players that become robots, okay. cameras, uh, binoculars. You know reminds me of? It objects. reminds me of those things where you can hide pot in it, but it looks like yes. a can of Pepsi. But it's for children. But it's for children. And it's Japanese and it's engineering. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and it's a camera, so they're like, he looks like a camera, <laughs> yeah. but he's actually he's fighting for he's justice. Actually sort he's actually sort of a, a robot. Super villain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in Japan, the, those the toys came first, and they were different toy lines. One was the line of, of household objects. Okay. One was like cars. Okay. Maybe multiple ones were cars, tanks, that stuff. Okay. So those toys were all packaged together into a single toy line, and then the cartoon Transformers was was created as a joint Japanese American production to uh-huh. then sell, re, resell, or sell in the case of America these very popular toys. Right. Holy smokes. Okay, so that's where uh, Well, that, that's the, about 5 years before we get to this. Okay. And it sets up why I like it. So, so because Transformers was such a huge success, uh we had GI Joe, which yeah. again the the uh, you know, you have the in some cases you have the toy design predating the cartoon. He-Man Masters of the Universe, the toys were designed and then the cartoon was written based on those toy designs. Oh, wow. And in the case of Thundercats, it's explicitly so. They made the toys, and then they wrote a cartoon about the toys. What are... So everything I've, that I've Jimmy Carter was afraid of <laughs> happened right away. Right, no, whatever, was... whatever all the politicians were worried about for children's programming... They were correct. It was correct, but it also was a... Uh, you know, I turned out fine, except for the fact that I still care about this stuff. Right, exactly. And I watched 12 hours of television <laughs> yeah. a day, and uh, screen time didn't seem to ruin me as a human. So, so here's with my that qu- history... Yes, but can I ask please. quickly, because you probably know, and I don't. Yes. What are Thundercats? I never did see the show. It's a, a very beautiful line of toys, because yes. the toys were designed first, Okay. which makes it a lot easier than trying to make an action figure of someone's drawing. Oh, right. You make a drawing of someone's action figure. Oh, there you go. Uh, they're a race of cat people they fight mumra what is mumra he's just like a bad guy oh he's one bad guy so cat people the well he has he has his crew you have to sell more figures so he has henchmen (laughs) he's gonna need well there's more than one vehicle right they have a house they live in it's called the cat's lair (laughs) so there's a whole there's a whole conveniently there's a whole line of accessories and toys conveniently that is lovely so there are what like five like power rangers or they're like five main main thundercats yes but the they're not uh uniform uh oh they're not named or they they are named but they they are quite different so there's there's Shitara, the the uh, female. Lionel's the leader. Panthro, Tigra. Uh, oh, is Panthro a panther looking yes. kind of thing? Ben, okay, Bengalis. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so the the trend from like 1981 to 1985 was a was a boom time of that for the American and Japanese toy industry. That especially Japan had really pushed the 
ball forward in terms of the quality of manufacturing. The original Transformers are like deeply engineered metal. Oh, really? Elaborate. And really awesome puzzle kind of? robot things. Oh, like they're, 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 I mean, they're, they're, they're as sophisticated as like a car you would yeah. buy. You know what I mean? They just have, they're made out of metal. They're interlocking. They're not cheap. I would love to see one of those. They're not shoddy. Right. And I wish I had one to hand you right now. So do I. But the, the, they, you do not. They are probably very expensive at this time. You'd be surprised. Uh, most <laughs> most things are not. Um, oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of neat. Uh, so so after Reagan deregulated uh, Saturday morning cartooning, there was a, a, a real boom following really from George Lucas's Star Wars toys, which created the action figure industry. Okay. Uh, he had uh, George Lucas had actually kept the rights to the Star Wars uh, merchandise right. by bringing the picture in under budget. Yeah. And so... Uh, the merchandising rights were, which were worth a trillion dollars in in retrospect, right? But which Fox Pictures considered at the time to be basically worthless because right. a movie has a limited release period. So merchandise based on a movie is only good for eight weeks. Yep. And so George Lucas couldn't get anyone to even make Star Wars action figures, huh. uh, which is why uh, Kenner, uh, like a thirteen person company from uh, Cincinnati that made Mister Potato Head, got yeah. the got the license. <laughs> the Mattel and the other big Hasbro, which made yeah. GI Joe, they all passed on it. Huh. And uh, George Lucas made more money from those toys than he ever made from those movies. From from absolutely anything else I can imagine. So by the time we get to 1985, uh, yeah. most of these cartoons are... Uh, are it's a cash cow. Th- might, be, might be perfectly good entertainment, but they are 22-minute commercials for <laughs> the toys. Yeah. And in Japan, that's true of Kanikuman muscle toys. Okay. It's based on a, a very popular manga that has... 75 oh. volumes. Okay. Which was then into a very popular early 80s anime, which has hundreds of episodes. Okay. But none of that was ever brought to America. Okay. The only thing we got were these little toys with absolutely no backstory or official explanation <laughs> right. of who... You could read the Kanikuman uh, manga if you wanted. If you were Japanese. Because it's only in Japanese. It has not but yet been translated. in America in 1985... Oh, right. They brought in the toys based on this property... But they did not bring in the cartoon or the comic books or any explanation. That's weird. Of who who these little characters are. Yeah. So for a kid, you got to make up anything you wanted <laughs> about these very elaborately designed right. robot people, wrestling guys. Uh, They're wrestling guys. You keep saying that. What is that? Are they wrestlers? They are wrestlers. Like, and they were marketed as wrestlers. So on the packaging, they're drawn in a wrestling ring. Okay. And that's true in the Japanese source material, but no American would have any way of knowing that. You just see that the all you get is that image because on the of, packaging. This is around the same time as Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Right, right. And this the source material is about uh uh a superhero wrestler who has to, if he wants to remain the prince of planet muscle, he has to win a wrestling tournament. <laughs> and it's a comedy, it's a parody of okay. Ultraman. It's one hundred percent humorous. Okay. But we as an American child would have no way of knowing any of that. No. What we got are instead are just tons of fun, very creatively drawn, executed and, and, little toys. And a lot of good detail on them, Beautiful too. detail. And, like, look uh, at this guy's helmet. That's, and, uh, or his head. It could be his head. And, uh, and so unlike the uh, every other toy line. Right. Where... Lion-O is lion He's the leader. He uses the Sword of Omens. He fights Mumra, whatever. These, you could make up who was the good guy, who was the bad guy. Right. And the way they were distributed uh, is in packs of four mm-hmm. uh, for a retail price of $1. So they were distributed for $0.25 cents a piece and, uh, or, or in a package of 10 where yeah. you couldn't see who you were getting. So in the four-pack, you could see, but it's completely random. Right. The 10-pack, you couldn't really see who you were getting. Right. And uh, they're... There's 236 different people. What? You could collect 236 dudes? Yes. And so they were distributed basically randomly. And they weren't – you had no idea how many existed Mm -hmm. as a child. You just knew that it seemed limitless because you you could buy 30 or 40 random ones and get one double. Right. And every single one of those figures is a very weird – snake person right. or like a guy wearing like punk rock chains with like horns on his head yeah, yeah. they're all aliens and wrestling buff weird yeah each one's its own little character but you you didn't have any sense anyone of when else's it was gonna end or what the next dude was gonna look like and and 
And I call them dudes, but they are gen. They are not gender specific. They could be any gender. They you might literally all be dudes. They might literally all. I'm not be sure dudes. there's a female one. Oh yeah. Uh, but if we turn them upside down like you do kittens, um, you <laughs> you do not see parts. So I mean, they're all wearing pants. Yes. So uh, well, none of the ones I've brought here, but most of them are not wearing shirts because they're '80s wrestlers. Oh right, right. Uh, and so I. Uh, Love these as a child. Yes. And uh, the good news is they retail for about 25 cents a piece yeah. on today's market. Yes. Each one is worth approximately 50 cents. Doubled. If you don't count inflation. Yep. They've held their value excellently. We would be fools not to stock up. <laughs> we would be. And that's why I have all 236 and more various. You have doubles? Variants. Uh they started, oh, variants. Well, they started coming out in different colors. Okay. Uh, there's accessories. There's sure. There's a Nintendo game. There's a wrestling ring you can put them in. Uh, Wait, then now there's a video game? There was. Okay. For the original Nintendo. Okay. So there was, there's, a, there's a small, but you know, there's maybe a dozen additional right. related things. Right. But uh, we never got any of the, the source material, which I've only been able to access as an adult. And it uh, turns out it's also tons of fun. Tons of fun. It's uh, so Kinikuman? Kinikuman. Kinikuman. Uh, uh, kin is uh, human. Right. Niku is meat. So okay. Kiniku is muscle. Okay. Human meat is muscle. Okay. So these are muscle men. They're muscle men. And uh, that was translated into muscle, the acronym Millions of Unusually Small Creatures <laughs> Lurking Everywhere. <laughs> right. And Mattel. Uh, Mattel made them. Mattel imported them or, re, you know, remade, had the American rights. Right. Uh, they did try to make a line for girls. Okay. Uh, an, an unrelated to the cartoon from Japan. because sure. Because there's lots of capsule toys in Japan, lots of this scale figures, okay. figural erasers that then just became not erasers. Right. Uh, so Mattel released a line called Cuties. C-U-T-I-E-S. Which is uh, coolest... Ultra tiny individuals <laughs> on Earth, I believe. Uh, something along. Definitely on. tweet at me if I'm wrong. Sure, I'm he, the only he, one that cares. At Jason Van Glass, he is the only one who cares. Let him know if you too care. Uh, those are not worth anything. <laughs> they did not hold their value. Uh, well, they're probably worth twenty five cents a piece, which okay. is what they probably cost. And I have a okay, a, a complete set of those. Is you know maybe how many of those are there? Maybe sixty. Those those okay. came in prepackaged sets. So there's a set of punk rock girls. Okay. There's a set of uh, aerobics. Like remember when aerobics was a trend? <laughs> I do. This sounds do. like if you picture a Japanese aerobics toy, you're thinking way too sexy. These are the, the, women these are with barbells bees. wearing yes. '80s hair. Yep. Because it's for for so girls. It's big hair. Big hair. Uh, Did you bring any of the girl ones? I don't have. I didn't have those handy. Fair enough. Because those are. I have a set of them. Uh, and they're in a uh, larger a vault. They're in a larger yeah. box at, <laughs> yes. my, at my parents' house. Okay, and that box is marked cuties. Yes, big, big sure. sharpie, worthless. <laughs> and then under that, keep forever. Keep. <laughs> so I've, I have those stashed in the vault. Uh, well, it's thank important God. we don't throw them away. Don't throw them out. But they're worth. But they are the, not. The whole worth... box is worth twelve dollars. Exactly. Or this is not something that anyone uh, should steal. Is what you're saying. So now, what I want to know is: yes, there is manga. There is also mm-hmm. a cartoon. Hundreds of episodes, mm-hmm. possibly. Um, have those episodes been translated into English? Are there subtitled versions like Dragon Ball Z? For the most part, no. Okay. There, uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was uh, Kinikuman's second generation, the TNG of okay. muscle cartoons. Yes. <laughs> and some of those manga and maybe some of that anime was translated. That, okay. that, that was brought to America. Okay. Um, but, but not um, because I don't know who would want to own a complete set of those DVDs, but I'm sure I know someone. If they no, were the, in English. the market exists. The market does exist. I uh, uh, ten years ago, a friend gave me DVD R's of all the episodes with uh, in Japanese. Oh, there you go. With English subtitles, but from like a Japanese box set. 
Okay. So there's a small but loyal. Right, right. <laughs> following. So, there, so there is a there I'm is not the only English. person. You are almost alone, but you, we're never alone, Jason. You know that. Jason Van Glass, by the way, uh, stand-up comic, oh, and you will be in Kansas City, Missouri, September 27th and 28th. That's correct. You don't know where, but if people go I, I to Twitter. I plan to find out before I arrive. And Instagram, exactly. Uh, though, back in the, I will tell you this, back in the 80s, you could just drive to a small town, which Kansas City is not, yeah. uh, go to a gas station and ask where the stand-up comedy was, <laughs> yeah. and someone would tell you. Yeah. So, But it's at Jason, J-A-S-O-N, Van, V-A-N-G-L-A-S-S. Jason Van Glass. On all social media. On all the social medias. Venmo. So, find me. Find him. Send me a quarter. Exactly. And you will not receive a cutie because uh, he's horrible. No, because they're, they're in a they're vault. In, and they're <laughs> invaluable, except for worthless. Together at last, those two words. Okay. So are these two that you've pulled out actual characters that you've named? Did you name this, them? This one is um, – his, his Japanese character name is Sunshine. Okay. And uh, he is a robot. He's a shape shifting robot looking guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> his in the Japanese cartoon, which we would have no way of knowing based on this, he's like a sand shifting creature. Yeah. So he's like an Egyptian themed sand guy. So he can take on he can, one of the toys is him as a top. Oh, okay. One of the toys is him as like a arch, like a Roman arch. Okay. So he's a shape shifter. Uh, made out of little like sand bricks. Oh, and uh, so this is one version of him. This one, there's yeah. This guy's sunshine, and and he has like five or six different toys in the line. In the line, so you could have gotten another one of, him, and you did, uh, but yes. but one could have gotten another version. You, you of might him. have gotten him as a top with his little head on top. And it, are they all the same color? And that's how you know the original ones were all. Every single figure was this pink kind of eraser color okay and then and the then next later versions. they started coming out the same figures but in different colors okay let me look on the back of this and yeah. see what can be learned from any sort of imprinting this will be easier to read oh that is much larger <laughs> so i've brought with it me looks like some a giant ro- a i've giant brought eraser. with me some japanese ones uh the, okay. the American ones were exclusively one inch tall. Okay. And the Japanese ones were primarily one inch tall. But in Japan, because it's Hugely still popular. on the air, sold millions and millions of copies, hundreds of episodes, there are various larger this size things. Is wearing a shirt that says meat. Yeah. Because it kin, is, kiniku is kiniku human meat, which is, is the meat. word for muscle. <laughs> but the origin of that, that the origin, the kanji that are used to say the word muscle are, is human meat. Right. So that's kid meat. Because that, the main character, who I don't have a figure of with me, is 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 Muscle Man. Muscle Man is his. So that's this is his like sidekick friend, presumably. Right, right. Who but is just called Meat? Who who could say? Who could say? And uh, even though Kanikuman means Muscle Man, mm-hmm. and that means human meat, they've chosen <laughs> to spell the word meat in English yeah. on his T-shirt, and this is a Japanese toy. Yes. All right. I love the fact that they're like. It's cool. English yes. is one, a great language. One of the characters is named Ramen Man. Oh, hello, Noodle Man. And he uh, he's a pretty crude uh, Chinese stereotype. He has a Fu Manchu mustache, ah. and he fights with two walks. With the, oh, and, the wa- actually and, cooking walks. And he's where he wears like one of those kung fu button up shirts. Like, a- and so. Uh, much like real American, well, I wouldn't say real, much like 80s American wrestling. Yes. Uh, parody Japanese wrestling of the 80s also had ethnic, crude ethnic stereotypes. <laughs> that, is, uh, that, that will be frowned upon and doesn't necessarily uh, So, hold yeah, up. one of the characters is Ramen Man, uh, but there's all aliens. There's, there's, but isn't Ramen Japanese? You would think. And then, but the, but the character itself has co-opted, well, that's where it's justified. He's co-opted the Japanese, and they're like, well, we're going to make him a stereotypical Chinese guy. Um, Well, that's fascinating. What? Okay. So this is a bigger one. And you, so there's 236? Of the, of the American one-inch ones, there's 236 figures. Okay. There's some that came, some figures that were released in Japan that didn't make it here. Okay. And then in Japan, there's also those same characters, but on different scales. Right. Because over the last 30 years, there's been an uncountable to number of different releases and projects and right. toys and special editions. And new characters? Or are they working with the same? Uh, same characters for the first 
series. Okay. I assume that the next generation, much like Star Trek, the next generation right. has – in the next generation, I think they're all older, like 40 years older, so there's new characters in that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't they be? It's uh, But it's been 40 years in these characters. So my favorite is Sunshine the Robot, and that's why I have a, a collection of just Japanese weird scale versions of this one character. Okay. Uh, which will be thrilling to the listeners at home who can't see what we're doing. <laughs> Including my prized possession, this absolutely gigantic one. It is, and also super heavy. It is dense. The Japanese this, toys of the 80s were very high quality. And so these were made in the 80s? Yes. These are all from the 80s. Yeah. Now, this one is probably, what, five inches? Yeah, six five inches or six tall? inches. Five or six inches tall. The original one, one inch. Right. This is a, a terrifying group of smiling men. <laughs> yeah. What is it called? Smile? His name is Sunshine. Sunshine. You can see he has a, a rolling press in his chest here, so he does he does morph, even though all of these are not in. They're not. The, the, they he could become he can become a pyramid. One of the original one inch ones is him as a pyramid. Oh my god! Do you so have any of the ones where he looks like a a, a rolling mm, pin or not whatever? on me? Not on you. Also in storage. So, but I like that you have um, literally like five different sizes of the same so, guy. You asked for the a photo to attach this podcast of myself. Yes. And I will be including this photo of me in my handmade Cosplay. Halloween costume <laughs> as a six-foot-tall version of this one-inch toy. Oh, my God. Uh, yes. Yes, please. Uh, that is sunshine. Yeah. And uh, It's me wearing cardboard boxes spray-painted eraser color. Eraser color. at home and this didn't load on your iTunes. Uh, it will load on their iTunes because uh, I will make it so. Um, and then I will also take a picture of these so that uh, the world can see exactly what we're looking what at we've here. been talking about for 20 minutes exactly we're 24 minutes into this thing sure. and sunshine has now been fully explained he seems happy in this one he's got he's got lips and a, yeah, he's and a, a smile. smile it's unclear if he's a good or a bad guy to me as someone that's only uh briefly into the into i mean i've i've watched the cartoon on youtube or, or or poked through the manga but i'm afraid to learn too much about the story because as i said what i loved about it was that unlike every other toy line it, all of it was a mystery, right? And you kept getting these weird little dudes, and you right. could you could get, name them anything you wanted. You could decide who was on what team. Did you name him anything besides Sunshine, or were you no. had you been told? No, I, I learned that name later okay. as an adult, right? And so, did you wrestle with these characters as a yeah? Child? You play in the sandbox with them, yeah, and, yeah. and because they were marketed uh, uh, with like a wrestling ring, yeah, it was implied that they should definitely be like. They should definitely punching fight. each other or yes. whatever. <laughs> there should definitely be some sort of wrestling going on. That is awesome. What else? Um, so, Sunshine. What is the name of this character? I believe his Japanese name is like Kid Meat, and oh, he's that's the right. he's the kid sidekick to the main guy who's like Muscle Man. Muscle meat, Man. So, Meat is a pun because the kanji for muscle involves the kanji for meat. Right. So, right, right. so if you have a smaller so version of muscle, you just have a meat. A smaller I version suppose. of meat. And a smaller uh, version of muscles. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wow. What other... Do you want to show me some more dudes and tell me what they what their deal is? Don't have any more uh, of these little toys on me. Right. But... Because uh, you ha- you brought a... I'm a collector. Felt like a big box. Yeah, there's a second box of things a here. A second box of other things that you collect. You do enjoy collecting things, this I know. Yes, but it's very focused. Oh well, I mean, you've chosen a thing, and then is it? Do you do you I mean guess, thorough? No, it's niche. Okay, and it's niche. Uh, as I mentioned, the uh, muscle men are are basically um, worthless, which right. is great news. Great news for the because collectors. there's 236 of them. <laughs> so for get in a couple now. hundred bucks, you're done. Get in now, uh, and that's. That's a hallmark of what I'm uh, able to collect. <laughs> right. It is one of the things uh, that you're good at is collecting. Well, I, I'm not. I'm priced out of some other markets. Right, right. If you could collect anything. Like like Would a DeLorean. Be? Okay. You know how much you know, it would be pretty cool to have a DeLorean? Yep. Even though they didn't work when they were new. Right. They do, they're not they good cars. Don't work now. Nope. You can't go shopping and, in them. And the problem with this plan is that they're like $40,000. Right. So it's a... Beautiful, weird, funny car that <laughs> yes. is would, would just be like a constant headache. And if it was four thousand, I'd have two of them, right? And I'd use the second one to fix the first one. Oh, there you go. For but parts. they're thirty six thousand dollars, and so it's you don't have either, right? Right. So you what you have is a desire one day to own something to park and look at. 
I guess I, I guess if, if you had all the money, more the than that, the things I'm collecting are DeLoreans, but they're fifty cents or they're five dollars. Okay, uh, and there are some things that are of interest to me, but if they're five hundred dollars for a comic book, no, nope. I think I'd rather have a thousand muscle figures. What about <laughs> is there a time frame that you're definitely drawn to when you collect things? Well, the the '80s toys are my childhood toys. Okay. So Ninja Turtles, Transformers. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's that's just what my gen, you know. Right, right. I don't have yeah, I don't uh I don't really collect anything. It's weird. Oh, you know what? I did uh at one point collect all-clad cooking wear. But okay. that was only because a friend of mine had it and she said it was great. Was it vintage? Nope. It brand new so and uh this is just you just went to Target. I just went over to the Williams Sonoma and spent qualifies. too much money. It really does as collecting. <laughs> it isn't uh, vintage I'm, Pyrex. I would have given you right, right. I'm not yeah or um uh, Fiesta wear. Some right. people collect Fiesta wear. My mother in law does, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Um, so yeah, I don't have a yeah, I don't collect things. Andy does. We we get a lot of stuff around the house. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. There's st- so I can show you his Hot Wheel collection. It's one of the things he loves about the Hot Wheel collection is that Hot Wheels are still a dollar. Right. That's what he likes about them. They're 99 cents. Right. The ones that he collects, though, are character cars for different TV and movies. They are three ninety nine, oh, And boy. so he's been almost priced out. That's almost DeLorean money. Yeah, yeah. It's almost <laughs> On DeLorean money. On the Hot Wheels scale. <laughs> so what, what else are you collecting? Uh, so uh, some of the things I collect are uh, – Recalled comic books. Oh, that's right. The unique. So uh, I collect I collect comic books, but the like three or four things I collect are these niche things that have not been not been priced out of. Like, if you want the first appearance of Spider Man, right? The only thing stopping you is money. You could buy one. <laughs> you could buy one before this podcast was over really? on eBay. They're 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 on the How market. Many copies of that is are there hundreds of copies well, of it? Th- however many there are, they've all been discovered and brought to market. Okay, and it has a known price. And every and and someone whereas, will sell it. Whereas a lot of uh, the things I'm looking for come up once every three years. I would like to back up quickly. Yeah. How much is the first? If you wanted the first, ah, well, thing it depends of... uh, very strictly on condition. Okay, I'm just going to ballpark here. Yep, uh, they tend to go up every year. Uh, bad condition, five thousand dollars. Wow. Perfect condition, best copy in the world, half a million, maybe more. Holy smokes! But it's because there's one of those. Okay, because somebody. So, was so a, on a amazing, on amazing Spider-Man, I don't know the numbers exactly, but on uh, Action Comics number one, the. First Superman. The first Superman. Which was a publishing sensation in 1939. Okay. They printed 250,000 of them and sold out, so they made 200,000 more. Yeah. So they made close to a half a million of them. It was the Pokemon of 1939. Right. It's still, we're still making it today. It's, it was right. so big in 1939. Yeah. Uh, there are approximately 100 copies known. Okay. So out of, out of 450,000 copies printed of something that everyone went crazy about. Yeah. And loved, about 100 copies remain re- exist right and we've been looking for them f- for 50 years yeah so occasionally one is discovered but but really we've but there's, those a, are the there's hun- a high incentive to find these and people have been looking right and w- one thing that happened is that during the war there was paper drives for the war effort so not only were these considered the same as saving a newspaper right or an old people magazine or something yeah not only is it were they considered to be it ephemeral, wasn't really a book. They were considered to be ephemeral. Yeah. And during the war effort, to the extent that they hadn't been thrown away yet, people went door to door collecting them to recycle. Right. So uh, most most pre pre war American comic books were recycled to beat the Nazis. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why worth the effort. But so how much uh, to to have a, a halfway? Uh, well, I believe copy. I believe Nick Cage uh, spent a million dollars on one and then later had to sell it. Due oh, to his right. financial troubles, so so the very yeah. best copies, which are are aren't even in perfect condition, they're in right. eight out of ten condition, and there's two or three of them in okay. that range, let's say. Yeah, and those are a million dollars more, priceless more than that. Wow. I don't know what the current record sale is, but it's an American, it's a worldwide icon that there's three of. Right. So if so, you're an investment banker, right, or Nick Cage before the IRS finds out, right, it's a perfect. It's the perfect gift for the the bazillionaire in your life. And so, while I might uh, be interested in owning such a thing, uh, the 
1940s comic books just in general well yeah. they're prohibitively expensive and very very rare so uh, action comics number one i'm sure you could find one for sale uh, okay at an auction house as we speak right that you know they're all on the market they're considered high-end investment okay things and so you, you could go buy one this week okay uh, if you had a quarter of a million dollars laying around okay a lot of the stuff Note i collect uh, and and also the internet has changed this. You know, it used to be that if you needed Amazing Spider-Man number 47, that was the one you're missing. Yeah. You had to hope you'd run into it. Right. You had to you go to you had to go to Comic-Con. Bookstores, comic book shops, dusty back rooms, garage sales and just hope you found the yep. the one random thing you were missing. Mhm. And the internet's changed all that. It means you can buy almost anything. You may right. not agree, you may not like the price, but if you whatever it is you need, it's there. Right. And so the huh. Things I'm collecting are things that are unpopular or obscure enough <laughs> that that's not the case because people don't bring them to market or uh they don't they aren't valuable enough to be looking for to resell. What are they? My ad, my ad, my ad. I'm about to do an ad. This is an ad for Audible. They're introducing Audible Originals, a new member benefit. Two Audible Originals and one audiobook. Every month, Audible Originals are exclusive audio titles created by celebrated story titles from worlds as diverse as theater, journalism, literature, and more, including me, Jackie Cation. I'm the more. I've done some Audible Originals. And one of my favorite Audible books, I think I've mentioned it before, is Assassination Vacation, the Sarah Vowell book that I beloved. I downloaded it. Uh, I listened to it over and over and over again, as a matter of fact, because it's great. So you get your first audiobook free and you choose two titles from a curated list of Audible originals when you try Audible for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash dork or text dork to 500-500 to get started. You guys know Audible. It's really great. I love listening to Audible on long drives on long sitting arounds, listening lets you get more books into your life because with the free Audible app, you can enjoy them anytime. You guys know the deal. Audible is great. Go to audible.com slash dork. And Audible is spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com, C-O-M, slash dork, D-O-R-K. Rangers know how to spell dork. So go to audible.com slash dork or text dork to 500, 500 to get started. Let's get back into the show. Uh, where to begin? I collect uh, zines. Magazines. Zines. A different word. What is zine? A zine is a, a self-published, uh, Xeroxed, small, oh, okay. independently released okay. uh, uh, thing. So when Xerox machines in the uh, late 70s, early 80s became accessible to the public, right. people started putting out their own comic books and magazines. Yeah. They might make 10 copies, they might make 1000. Right. But these little home homemade handmade zines. Right. Uh and so the ones uh I look for are ones that are uh one of them is Boing Boing magazine. Okay. Uh, which later became a website, a very yeah. popular website, started as a zine. Okay. And then became a magazine and then right. became a website. Okay. Uh When did it start as a zine? Late 80s. Okay. So late '80s to early '90s, there was a there was a little bit of like an independent zine magazine boom. Okay, and then they were early to get on the internet. All of this sounds vaguely familiar. I and do, so that's I that's one there's that I collect. What, what is it like? What but what was the original zine of Boing Boing? Similar to the website, it was it was focused on tech news, or, uh, outsider oh. art. Okay, uh, you know. So oh, so it was a couple. It, it was a, it was a magazine about. The kind of pop culture things that, that were they were interested in that hipsters in 1988 in Colorado were interested in. Excellent. So it was into Robert Anton Wilson. Okay. It was into painting your hot rod or like modding out your bicycle. It was in. It was into science fiction that was being published. Okay. It, it was. It was a. You know. That, and so that's boing boing. That's one of the ones I've I've collected. And uh, do you have? Um, have you been able to find some good early ones? Uh. Yes, I have like one copy of number one and one copy of number two, which were handmade by Mark Frohnfeld, the founder of this 
thing. Okay. So it grew. A, of course you know his name. Uh, it was like one guy who started at, it. At the time, uh, and his, I believe his wife might have been involved. Mark Froenfalder? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I'm not saying that right, but he's, sure. the, he's the founder of Boing Boing. Right. And so it grew from something he was making that was just about the art and culture that he was into. Right. Started getting more contributors. You know what this is? Eventually became one of the largest websites in the world. In 1988, <laughs> um, when The Onion started in mm-hmm. Madison, yes. Wisconsin where I went to college and graduated yes. from in 1988, um, I remember just Xerox copies of The Onion. Ex- a perfect example. That exact same something... time period. The technology existed to let people put out their own, their own thing with, with if they had the initiative to do it. Yeah. They didn't need an editor or a million dollars. He was a dishwasher. And, so, and so The Onion was like a zine yeah. or a campus newspaper that became what the thing we know today. Right. But it started as like uh, just a couple of people right. doing something they thought was cool. Would that I had such a copy because, and granted it might not be worth anything, but it would also be kind of fascinating. Uh, I don't happen to have any of those, but it's exactly the kind of thing I would gladly be spend 10 bucks have. on right. a 30 year old copy, physical copy of the onion. If I had such interesting a thing, to me. I would give it to you right? because you would keep it nice. And what I do have in that vein is a, a, a zine called army man. Okay. Which uh, came out in the, the late 80s. There were three issues of it. Each one was four pages, like two sheets of paper. Okay. And it was all comedy writing. And it was published by uh, someone that had worked at SNL. Okay. For a, a little bit and then moved back to uh, Denver. Okay. And so uh, the contributors uh, to it included Jack Handy and uh, Bill Odenkirk, I believe. It included... Jack Handy wrote Deep Thoughts on Thank uh, you. SNL. <laughs> so it included, it included SNL writers of the 80s contributing things. Right. Uh, and uh, only three issues were made. Okay. Uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if the print run was more than a couple of hundred copies. Right. I imagine most of them were lost. Mm-hmm. But uh, importantly uh, to uh, comedy nerds. Yes. Such as myself. So- <laughs> is that when uh, season one of The Simpsons was staffed. Okay. Uh, I believe Sam Simon had had been on the mailing list for this zine. Okay. And he staffed The Simpsons with everyone that had been published in Army Man. Oh, wow. And so more than a uh, – of the two dozen contributors yeah. to the six pages that exist of Army Man, yeah. more than a dozen of them write on The Simpsons. To this day, some of them still uh, – Certainly on the early seasons. Right, right. So The Simpsons was, was created in huh. large part – out of the out of this very small piece of paper. Yes. And to me that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so That's fascinating. So uh uh twice now in 15 years yes. these have been brought to auction and I've mm. been the winner both times. Oh, there you go. And I I believe I paid about $50 per issue. Okay. Uh but since they only come up every 5 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. as I said, I imagine that there's a, a few hundred and most were probably printed. Would is this something that you would want to get the contributors to sign? Would no, that add that anything doesn't, to that it? Doesn't, that doesn't do that doesn't tickle my. That doesn't funny bone. add to it at all. It's the thing you want is their content and the existence yeah, and, of that thing. And to me, the objects that I collect have uh, a physical quality. Yeah. So like, like I used to work in a comic book store. Okay. Which is why I was nervous to come on this podcast because the one thing I learned in a comic book store yes. is to not bother people with your dorkdoms. <laughs> uh, this uh, is the safest <laughs> space in the no, world for you. I know this is a safe <laughs> space, but my main takeaway from uh, working in a comic book store uh, is to keep it together. Was never under any circumstances. <laughs> Explain the rules of the Yu-Gi-Oh card game to someone while they're at work. Because many children and some adults attempted to do that repeatedly to me. Right. And, right. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh card game is not my dorkdom, and I don't care what the rules are. Right. And uh, you don't. And so I. Uh, you would like to create that same safe space for others. So I rarely uh, uh, discuss People... any of this with anyone. Right. Because <laughs> I, and... I internalize that that. Phobia. <laughs> and with the Rangers of the Dork Forest, they pick and choose sometimes by topic, and sometimes mm-hmm. they listen to a, a, a topic that they have no interest mm-hmm. in, and yet they are fascinated by your interest. By my illness. Right. <laughs> your, so uh, so something that connects <laughs> the various little niche things I'm collecting, something that unites them, I think, is that they are like Army Man, the zine. There's something that's a physical object that's small, that has some legacy or history to it, either either in the creation of it 
or in its aftermath that, right. that Boing Boing became this this website that I enjoyed, that Army Man became this television show that I loved, mm-hmm. that um, uh, there's one from uh, the 60s, a magazine called The Realist. It was published by a comedian named Paul Krasner. Okay. Uh, Paul's still alive, and he's out in a Palm uh, Desert, I believe. Okay. And he's the ghostwriter of Lenny Bruce's autobiography. Okay. So he was a fascinating dude. Uh, yeah. When he was a... a teenager uh he was uh intern basically at mad magazine like the first two years of mad magazine yeah uh he lost his virginity at the mad magazine offices because he had nowhere else to go right uh he uh from lenny bruce no uh, any he, idea who he, he spoke with? does stand up because lenny bruce told him to okay uh he and was his name's paul klasner krasner krasner fascinating guy he was friends with uh john and yoko he was friends with the the yippies he was part of the chicago like uh, 1968 Democratic Convention trial. Okay. Uh, so personal a guy friend, with an amazing just just connected to all these different parts of history coming out of his ears. And I'm uh, sure. well, he published uh, 100 issues of a magazine, basically a zine, uh, basically the first alternative newspaper. It was called The Realist. He started publishing in 1958. Okay. And it, uh, the first issue 1958. Was, yes. He must have had a. <laughs> Like yeah, a so mi- he, he, had, he had worked machine. at Mad, and he had, then he had worked at newspapers. Yeah. And so in 1958, he started publishing The Realist, which was an alternative newspaper. Okay. And uh, initially, The Realist uh, would publish uh, things that your local editor wouldn't let you publish. Okay. So if you worked in the South and you wanted to write about civil rights in 1958, the newspaper your boss would probably uh, quash yeah. <laughs> the, right. Quash that. So it, it ended up publishing a lot of things that were too hot to run at a uh, uh, f- right. professional newspaper. Okay. And it was on the very forefront of. Where did he distribute it? So it was distributed by mail. Okay. And uh, and so the early issues had a couple, couple thousand printed. Yeah. But in uh, at its peak in 1969, 1970, it had over 100,000 subscribers. So it, it started small. Yeah. And it got. Huge, yeah, and and part of the reason why is that it it presages that 1968 counterculture. So in the early 60s, he was publishing articles written by Tim Leary while Tim Leary was still at Harvard. Right, he was publishing articles by Robert Anton Wilson about how computers are going to get smart enough that there's going to be a network, and we're going to that we're going to have a network of computers that we'll communicate on what? in like 1964. Right, right. He wrote all this stuff about or published all these things about. Drugs, drug use, acid, research. I'm sure he did. So it, but, it had, but he was five years ahead of the curve. He was right, a bit right. older than the, the generation of love. Right. And uh, he was cool. And, and one of the fun things about it is also it's that he's a comedian. Right. And so even though he's publishing things about the internet in the 60s or about Tim Leary or about uh, Lenny Bruce's very – Lenny Bruce published things in the, in this newspaper right. uh, while he was still alive. And then, of course, his trial was heavily covered in the Realist newspaper. Sure. So – And in his act. I don't know. Have you uh, ever heard that Lenny Bruce album where he reads from his transcripts? Yeah, it's it doesn't – he, he becomes obsessed with it and I kind of get why, but <laughs> – No, no. I totally get why. Yeah. But uh, still got to write punchlines, man. Anyway, but I had that album. Uh, anyway, so the, the so. most famous thing the Realist ever published uh, was by uh, – was a, a centerfold, a drawing – by Wally Wood, a very weird 1950s comic book artist. Okay. Uh, and it's called the Disneyland Memorial Orgy. And when Walt Disney died, Wally Wood published in, in The Realist this right. centerfold that was all of the Disney characters having graphic sex with each other. <laughs> and uh, that made a splash. That's the most famous thing they ever published. But it was sure. comedic. You know right. what I mean? So, so he was uh, – The Realist, for all of its real journalism, too – well, what I like about it is like I'm a comedian and I just yeah. love that this guy was a prankster basically. Yeah. And willing to just bring it to some extent. That's awesome. Do you have now what, what do you, do you how many copies of that do you have? I have 99 of the hundred original copies. What? If anyone out there has number 11, I believe. <laughs> the would, realist number I got, 11. I got 20 bucks on it. You All know right. what I mean? I'm pretty All sure right. that's the number I need. The later numbers are very much easier to find because it, it started very small in the late fifties, and as right. I said, had it was being distributed in head shops by the peak of it. So it was it was 
Right, but those first twenty issues. Yeah, the first the the first twenty issues are probably very hard to. I can't very hard to come by, but not necessarily valuable. Ninety nine of a hundred issues you have. Yes, that's neat. That's really. Um, I don't care, but I care because yeah. that's awesome. That's. Uh, it's satisfying to me to just put everything back together. Right. <laughs> right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair to, enough. To pick up the things that have been dispersed <laughs> to the winds, and like, let's just put these in a box. They belong with each other. Yes. There's a certain order to it. Have you ever gotten to meet him, the guy? Uh, I have not. and uh, He's got to be super old at this I've, point, right? Uh, he's older and... Uh, no, he, no, super old. No, I'm kidding. It's, uh, I've, I, I am halfway through the process. I'm publishing a zine of my own. Oh, nice. And I got uh, Paul Krasner's address from the internet. Okay. And I'm going to cold mail a copy to him. Right, what the heck? And hopefully it won't freak him out, but as we've discussed, like this is someone that was pub- self-publishing alternative comedy in the 50s. Right. And was was when the Beatles broke up, he and John hung out in Watsonville for the summer. Oh my god. So they, he he's not just like acquaintance with John Lennon. He was friends with all these cool people cuz he was so cool. Right. And so he was he spent the summer in in Watsonville off the California coast with with John. John thought uh, everyone was spying on him cuz you know they're taking acid all day or whatever. Right. And right. uh Paul I'll, to steal another of Paul's great stories, Paul Krasner's great stories. Uh you know, of course Paul Krasner was telling him like you're paranoid. You're it's cuz you're high. Right. And then later they found out no, the FBI was 100% spying <laughs> on them. There were people with binoculars. The phones were tapped. Uh, the government was following them around. Right. He, they were too popular. Uh, and so. additionally, they were on acid. They were also <laughs> on acid. Wow, that's so – okay, so is there a list? I'm sure if – when you get the copies or when you – if and when mm-hmm. you pour over these these issues of something like that from the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. and you recognize the names, yeah. what other – like have you just sort of – Kept a copy of the names in the hope. In in the hope of what? Of recognize of someone new coming up and becoming famous again, or sort of like I you're like all of a sudden, I don't know. Uh, I can't think of anyone's name ever, so I don't know why I'm everyone's dead. With, everyone it's is Paul. <laughs> it's Tim Leary. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Lenny Bruce. A lot of them. Uh, but bombs, Mabley. I mean, like, is there? Yeah. Are there any? Like any weird, you know, because it because uh, it goes till sixty eight, sixty nine is the peak. You said how yeah. much? How much further did it go past uh, that? The the last original issue is like seventy two or seventy four, maybe. Okay, and then the I'm, format starts changing. Postal rules dictated a lot of what the format oh, okay. was and what you could mail through the mail. Okay, weird. So the the format started changing because postal rules dictate the dimensions of things ah, <laughs> and yes. and also sometimes the content <laughs> yes they do um so um okay so that but uh so he he things. he in the in the late 60s you know we talked about the late 80s zine boom in the late 60s there was the alternative newspaper boom so the berkeley barb was like a local hippie berkeley based berkeley california based newspaper with anti-vietnam war information pro-drug information and that happened all over the country. L.A. had one. The Village Voice is sort of an example of this. New York okay. had had a couple of different hippie publications. Right. Because in the late 60s, not only was there the whole counterculture, newsprint technology got accessible enough that a committed group of individuals could run a business in a way that wasn't possible in the 40s when owning newspaper equipment meant you were a billionaire or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. You were a Republican – yeah, you had access hedge fund villain. Right, like uh, I mean sort of like the way the internet has sort of opened up right. all kinds of things whenever when Xerox invented a copy. And so and so it's yeah. movable type, man. And the <laughs> and, like and the opening the of that access Bible. is interesting to me too because you get the hippie perspective but uh, uh, the black power movement was publishing its own right uh newspapers. Right, anybody could And uh, you know those voices are way more interesting than whatever the L.A. Times was publishing in 1968. Right. right. I mean, just the anyone who had been marginalized, if they could get a couple hundred bucks together, could start printing their own. Perhaps and, and perhaps profitably. Profitably and and just sort of spreading the truth. And, to and you see the same thing with the underground comics at the time. Robert Crumb is you know in the late 60s, 
the technology existed for someone like Robert Crumb, who was very talented, but making his own weird art right. to publish a comic book. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any of that? Are there comics? That yes, uh, because to? I grew up in uh, in the East Bay Area. I grew up uh, right, right near Oakland, right near Berkeley, mm-hmm. which was an epicenter of underground comics. Okay. Uh, my years spent garage sailing and flea marketing have yielded a uh, huge number of underground comics that would not be possible if I lived anywhere else in the country. Okay. Because uh, most of those crumb comic books, most of most of the underground comics in general, were published in Berkeley or maybe the San Francisco. Okay, uh, that's where Crumb lived. Was in San Francisco. He pushed uh, Baby Carriage with Zap Zero, his first book, around the hate in like nineteen sixty six, selling oh. them for a quarter. Oh my god! Okay, uh, which is as fun as anything that's in the book. Like <laughs> I like that more than I like Robert Crumb's storytelling. Right. I love that history of that artifact and that if you find one, that it's, it has this. It was there. It has this lineage. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. You know that uh, someone who I never had on the Dork Forest, but I always wanted to, is my friend Maureen Fitzpatrick, who collects accordions. And one of the, one of her favorite ways to collect accordions, much like growing up where you grew up, making it accessible yeah. by right. going to those flea markets and garage sales. Uh, she grew up in western Iowa and has spent a fair amount of time traveling around uh, rural Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yeah. And there are more accordions yeah. Yeah. in tiny towns. The, the level Just of accordion per garage sale, per garage sale. is it's off a, the charts. Yeah. It's a little more. The odds are there's probably going right. to be one. And uh, it's such an interesting – the fact that that, that happened – because you were right there near Berkeley and Oakland and, yeah. and those places. So that's fascinating. What's in that box? So I've, I've brought uh, some Al Hartley Spire Christian comic books. Al Hartley Spire. I'm writing that down. Unfortunately, I don't have a copy on me of his masterpiece. Uh, Let's let's start at the beginning. Al Hartley yes, was a comic book artist. He okay. worked at Marvel in the late fifties and early sixties with Stan Lee. He drew early Thor stories, okay, and a bunch of romance comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he moved to Archie, okay, uh, and he was a born again Christian. Uh, and Archie's in uh, his later life. Uh, I don't know if he became born again or not, but he was okay. a, he was a, he was a uh, deeply uh, committed religious evangelical dude. Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Archie comics. Uh, like uh, many uh, parts of comic history, was Jewish. Okay. You know, Stan, Stan Lee's last name is Lieber. Uh, Superman is created by two Jewish teenagers from, from Cleveland. Okay. Uh, but uh, Al Hartley happened to be uh, uh, religiously a Christian, and he asked the publishers at Archie uh, if, he would, if, he could, if they would help him publish Christian okay. uh, comic books, okay. so, sort of as evangelical books, books that were, would be accessible for children but would have Christian messages in them. Davy and Goliath. And, and so some of them are, uh, some of them are literally Archie books, but with Christian themes. Oh, weird! Uh, like, so he wrote and drew them. So, and in this case, he wrote and drew them. Okay. Uh, so we have like Archie's date book, and it doesn't look that different than a, than a typical Archie book. It's drawn by uh, one of the stable of Archie artists, which is Al Hartley, but the the message in it is is christian not necessarily converting people to christianity but the lessons you want children to learn from christianity about be nice to people don't lie don't lie to be like the your nice parents man don't the lie to and respect your parents and all this and, kind of and thing. yeah and uh and so 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 uh the archie publishers did did help Al okay. Hartley set up they set up a, a sub category called a uh, sub publisher called spire oh and spire uh, uh published uh, about 55 books by Al Hartley, comic books. 55 different titles? Different titles over like a 20-year period. Okay. Uh, a all more, by Al Hartley. All by Al Hartley. With a very All drawn strong... in the style of an Archie comic book from the 70s. Okay. So very beautiful pop art. Yeah, that's Like be- a comic, like if a comic book had a style, it's the 70s Archie book, just like a big-eyed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, big-faced, colorful books. Right. About a dozen of them were Archie characters that he had permission to use Archie and Betty and Veronica and, and tell and kind of Christian, and all the, Christianized and, stories with them. All right. Some of them were 
uh, biographies of evangelical uh, preachers. preachers and other um, on the road with televangelists. Andre Crouch. So this one's uh, Andre Crouch. He was a, a, a black soul singer, evangelical. Uh, some of them were. Do you have three copies of this? Yes. Now <laughs> so again, it's a dupe. what's important about this is yes. that uh, with a couple of exceptions, these are basically worthless. Right. I love them. I think they're. <laughs> I think they're so spectacular. Right. But they are. Uh, they're not Spider Man, and uh, very few other people care. Right. Uh, which is great. Great news That's for fine. me. Great news for you. So, then you can get them all. Do you have them all? Yes. You have all of this. But 55- I, unfortunately, I don't have them all with me. No, no. That's. Uh, so some of them were adapted from books, from memoirs of how people came to Christianity. So this one's called The Hiding Place, and it's the story of a woman who survived the Holocaust. Oh. Uh, but told in the style of an Archie comic book. Wow. Which leads into the masterpiece, which I, unfortunately I don't have with me. It's right. my f- one of my favorite comic books of all time. Not even ironically, literally. Right. It's called Hansi, the Girl Who Loved the Swastika. Wait a minute. I've heard of Hansi, the Girl Who Loved the Swastika. Maybe a, from you. It's a masterpiece. Is it a masterpiece? And it's, it's one of the ones that's more valuable uh, because other people want it because it has such a bizarre title and spectacularly colorful cover. It, it's pop and art. Al Hartley... Yes. Drew and wrote it. He adapted it or from adapted a, it. the biography of, of a real woman who uh, was not Jewish. She uh, joined the Nazi youth uh, during the war. How old was she? Uh, like a teen, like a teenager. Okay. But as, a, as like a 17-year-old when the Germans showed up in, I believe, Austria or wherever she so was. So like Sound of Music. Exactly like Sound of Music. France. She, she believed in it. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Good Lord. The the larger moral of her biography and of the comic book, as her life story reduced to twenty two pages, is that it was a mistake to uh, believe in the Nazis. Yes, because the the only correct the only thing you should give your faith to is Christ. Oh, interesting. But, but she got in the in- course of that story. She spends time in a Russian POW camp. She has to cross over the river. Uh, there's rape in this story, but all of it's drawn in an Archie comic book style. What? What? Uh, she's in a she's in a she Russian she's in a Russian prison camp, and one of the other girls says to her when the when the soldiers come in to yeah. abuse the women. Yes, in the in the Archie style comic book, the uh, her friend says to her, "You're lucky. You're so skinny. They don't like skinny girls." Oh my god! And that's in a pure Archie With drawing Archie style. Art. And so that one's that one's uh, somewhat valuable because it's. Much like Plan Nine from Outer Space or something like. Right. Lots of people think that's pretty. It's weird. Just a <laughs> night, it's, it's something they want a copy of. <laughs> they want a copy of it because it's uh, weird. And you have a copy of that. Yes, but I'm not with me. What I do have is, hello, I'm Johnny Cash, <laughs> which is the adaptation. <laughs> I'm so glad we're going to leave on hello, I'm Johnny Cash. It's the, yes. It's the adaptation of uh, Johnny Cash's uh, return to Christianity. Did he go away? He struggled. Okay. Did he struggle? Uh, he, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not a Johnny Cash expert, right? But I believe he spent a couple of days in a cave doing drugs. Okay, in the mid '60s, sure. Uh, which is then depicted in this oh, beautifully drawn. If you if you flip through this, you see it has very spectacular pop art worthy oh, of a Ro- worthy what, of a Roy and, Lichtenstein. And and what year is this? Did this come out? The book's probably from the early '70s. Right, okay, because this, this actually looks like sort of the – I only read – as a child, I read comic books um, mostly in the late 70s. And this looks – it has that paper yeah, feel to it's it. it's 1976. Okay, and it, it has that feel because I, I – and I read mostly team-up Spider-Mans. <laughs> so uh, very specific. So this is all about Johnny Cash sort doing of. pills. Yeah. And um, – in 1950, I and undermining in his Air marriage Force. with June Carter, Uh-oh. who loves him and wants him to, you know, turn to the Bible, come back to help with his reckless brawling and drug use. Uh, wow! Oh, she had a dream. That mountain. Last night I dreamt you were on the that mountain. Oh, typo! Uh, you a lettering error uh, <laughs> on Van Mountain. Oh no! Oh, there I'll you go. I'll write a letter. You'll write. Please write a letter in this at this late date. That's fascinating. This one's called 
Born Again. Yes, it it's is. It's an adaptation of Chuck Colson, who went to prison for Watergate. He's oh, a, my he God. He was one of Nixon's henchmen, hatchet men. He served Jason time. Jason Glass, you are fascinating depths. He served time in, in prison and then uh, became a born-again Christian in prison and wrote uh, a biography that completely absolves him of his complicity in all of the crimes of the Nixon well, administration. All you have to do is uh, write that book, and then all of a sudden everybody... Did he ever get out? How did he, it all he, work He out served like a year or something. Yeah, yeah. But, he's, he's but he rebranded himself as... The Christian. As a, a Christian and... Uh, the the amount of uh, whitewashing that happens in this version of Watergate, yeah. where like Nixon's just trying to help people, but hippies are stopping him. Uh, wow! All uh, right, you know Watergate was sort of a conspiracy to undermine the Nixon administration. Oh, was it? Who he, Nixon sincerely wanted to stop the Vietnam War and was a pretty good guy. <laughs> and Chuck Colson especially was a good guy. He was right. such a nice guy. He just kind of got in over his head. He got in over his head. That'll and, happen. Uh, uh, now he's out of prison. Uh, and uh, wow. preaching the gospels, preach, but, and Alex, but it's this whole sort of fake version of Watergate drawn like an Archie comic book, <laughs> right? Oh my God, Al Hartley, holy smokes! So we're at an hour, Jason Van Glass, yeah. as 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 will happen. We didn't when, even get into that. It's fine. <laughs> we yeah, no, no, we'll have you back. It's because uh, the thing is, is for years I've known that this was a this was a well that I could go to, the Jason Van Glass well. And uh, I'm happy to lend you some of these Christian comic books uh, if you're considering converting. Uh, I uh, am already a Christian, and uh, I don't tell anyone, uh, mostly because everyone who does tell anyone uh, then makes a comic book where they want to boss people. So uh, <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> uh, but I have this to say, American public. Uh, internationals uh those aren't words whatever uh rangers of the dork forest know in your heart that jason van glass is a very talented comic and you Mm -hmm. should go see him in kansas city if you happen to be Mm -hmm. there september 27th to 28th you could follow him on on instagram and twitter and all that at jason van glass and we if someone sends me five dollars on venmo yeah with their address i will mail them a handmade zine of my comedy oh there you go he's and he's working on that zine remember that zine uh, that's going to happen. You, so Venmo maybe someday, him, Venmo I'll be him like five Tim bucks. Leary, and you'll be glad you have one of the only copies. Exactly, it'll be a starter copy of that very zine. So, uh, thank you so much for doing thank the show. Thank you for having me. And Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat, <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my God. Thank we you. why don't we just call that 